The sermon preached at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, a member of the Wells, on December 21, 2014, based on 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. Please stand. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit prepares our hearts for the birth of our King is the first lesson today, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pastures, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son when he does wrong. I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Your friends in Christ, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. This is a busy time of the year. Busyness so easily fills our schedules as our minds race through what we have to do, our plans and preparations. And although at times our busyness can be caught up in the commercialism and expectations of this world, often we're busy about good things. We're busy about family and, and friends, the gatherings and visiting, the, the preparations of food and gifts for our loved ones, sending greetings to those who are far off and decorating to delight the eyes of those close by. Yes, family and friends are good things. And, and our busyness often deals with our, the school, the community, our work, the end of year deadlines, the seasonal parties, the concerts, and school, community, and work are good things. And busyness even involves our, our, our church activities, getting ready for special services, the children working on their parts, uh, singers and musicians practicing, and these too are, are good things. But busyness, busyness even about good things, 
can become bad. For you see, busyness focuses on our doing, and we certainly want to be doing things for our God, but, but the busyness is focused on our doing. Christmas, though, is focused on what God has done. For you see, the opposite of busyness isn't simply quiet time, relaxing with nothing to do, for example, on Christmas Day afternoon when our stomachs are filled and families all around. No, since busyness is focused on our doing, the opposite is that quiet time focused on what God has done for us. So dear Christian friends, take time this holiday season to ponder what your God has done for you. Take time to look into that manger and marvel at how your God came to be born for you and laid in a manger. The Father sent his Son to be your Savior. Marvel at his love, at the wonders of his love. For that baby in the manger is your king. Marvel at the wonders of your king's love. That's the theme here this morning. Now, as we look at the text before us here today, it too takes us back to the time of a great king, time of King David, around 1000 BC. And David had been busy. He had been very busy doing the work the Lord had given him to do. The Lord had placed him as leader over the people of Israel, and David was busy protecting them, defeating their enemies. He was busy bringing the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem with great celebration. But now things had, had quieted down a bit, but David wanted to continue to do things for the Lord. He wanted to keep on being busy, and he had the idea that he, he could build a house for the Lord, a temple. Because look, he now was settled in his kingdom. He had a palace of his own, but the ark of the Lord was still being kept in a tent. So he wanted to build that temple, the house for the Lord. And when he shared those desires with the prophet Nathan, Nathan said, go ahead, do it. The Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan and told him that David was not the one who would build the temple. For you see, rather than David being busy building the house for the Lord, the Lord was going to be busy doing something even greater for David. David wanted to build a physical house to, 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 for, for the, the ark of the Lord, a temple. But the Lord was going to build a house for David, a dynasty. In fact, his kingdom would never end. That's a promise that only the Lord himself could make. An everlasting kingdom. Now those words of prophecy you heard in the text, they were partially fulfilled in David's son Solomon. The Lord had told David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And those words 
we see in, in Solomon. Solomon was David's own child, his own flesh and blood, and the Lord did indeed establish Solomon as king. And Solomon went on to build the house for the name of the Lord, to build the, the temple, just as, as David had planned, as, as the Lord gave Solomon to do. From our human perspective, the reign of Solomon was the high point of David's family line. For there, in the time of Solomon, there, was, well, there we see the wisdom and wealth and power and, and honor and glory and peace and prosperity that the Lord blessed Solomon and Israel with. It was certainly the high point from our human point of view. After Solomon, David's house continued to reign from Jerusalem over Judah, but the glory diminished. And several centuries later, in 586 B.C., David's descendant, King Zedekiah, was captured by the Babylonians. After his sons were executed before his eyes, they blinded him and put him in shackles to take to Babylon. What had happened to God's promise? Where was the everlasting kingdom? God, of course, had not forgotten. He hadn't gone back on his word. Yes, David's family tree had certainly become a stump. His house no longer had a claim to the throne, and his family line, his descendants, were only commoners like Joseph and Mary. But God had not forgotten. For you see, dear friends, this is often the way the Lord works. He makes things impossible. He makes them impossible so that we see that human effort, power, and planning could never achieve or accomplish what was promised. But only the Lord's love and mercy could do it. And that is what he is working here. For you see, dear friends, the Lord's saving plan was to send our Savior, our King, into this world in a way so that he would stoop down to our lowly level. Yes, our King came into this world in the lowliest way. He had to come through the family line of David. That's what the Lord had promised that he would be a physical descendant of David, from David's own flesh and blood, from David's own body. And although Jesus had no biological father, his mother Mary was a physical descendant of David. And so through the Virgin Mary, Jesus received his flesh and blood, his human nature, his body and soul, so that, yes, he truly was from David's family line. He was born, physically born, from Mary, David's descendant, just as the Lord had promised. But what a lowly way for the eternal Son of God to come into this world. And as we think about that virgin birth, 
Yes, it is indeed a marvelous miracle beyond our imagination. No biological father. And it emphasizes how true those words are that the Lord spoke to David here when the Lord said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And yet, what a lowly way for the almighty Son of God to enter our world. How would you have planned the coming of, the, of God the Son? Would there have been a great splendor and, and, and glory as the legions of angels heralded his arrival? Would such great glory shine out from him that every single individual on the face of this earth would be knocked down and overwhelmed with awe at the radiance of his majesty? And yes, that is how he will come the second time when he returns, but that's not how he came the first time. When he came the first time, he entered this world as a single cell within the womb of his mother, Mary. Yes, the Son of God, whom not even the universe can contain, became a single cell within the virgin womb and for nine months grew within his mother, his physical body, totally dependent on her. And when he was born, there was no palace, no royal entourage to welcome him. You know where he was born. His birth was lowlier than any of ours, for he was born in a place fit only for an animal and laid in a manger. What a lowly birth. What wonders of his love that he humbled himself to come into this world in such a way. And as you well know, he didn't stop lowering himself at the manger there. He humbled himself to the very depths of death on the cursed cross. The Christmas carol, What Child Is This?, proclaims, Nails! Spears shall pierce him through. The cross he'll bear for me, for you. And this too is hinted at in these words, this, the, these promises made to David here. Did you catch it? As the prophet said to Nathan, as the Lord said to, as the prophet Nathan said to David and spoke the word of the Lord, when he does wrong, the Lord said, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. Now at first we might wonder, how can those words apply to Jesus? He never did anything wrong, and you're right. He never sinned. He was pure, holy, righteous, blameless. But God counted our wrongs against Jesus as if he had done them himself. The apostle declares God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Our 
sins, tore open his back with those floggings. Our wrongdoings pounded in those nails. Our transgressions pierced him for all the wrongs that we have done were counted against him and he suffered for every last one of them. That's how far he lowered himself. He stooped down into our lowliness, taking our place. That's why he became flesh and blood like us. That is why he lowered himself to the cross to take our place so that our wrongs were counted against him and he was punished instead of us. Marvel at the wonders of his love, the wonders of our king's love that stooped so low for you and me. And yet, what good news this is for us. What good news that our king did stoop to the, the depths of the cross. What good news that God counted our wrongs against him because that means they no longer count against you and me. You are forgiven because Jesus came to the manger and to the cross. You are forgiven. What wonders of his love. Marvel. Marvel at what your king has done for you. What good news. And what's more, Jesus really did build a temple for the Lord. A temple much greater than Solomon's, for the temple Jesus built was not made out of cold stone or gold like Solomon's. It's made out of living stones. You, dear Christian, you are those living stones that Jesus has brought together and connected and built into the holy Christian church, which is his temple. Yes, you and I, we once were stone cold dead in sin, but in his grace and mercy, God made you alive in Christ, and Jesus has connected us together, building that temple much greater than Solomon's, building the temple that will not be leveled. For the holy Christian church will never perish. Not even the gates of hell will overcome it. For the, our king reigns forever. Our king Jesus Christ, the descendant of David, is on, has the everlasting throne and his kingdom will never end. Marvel at the wonders of his love that has brought us into that kingdom, building us into his church as living stones, founded on the scriptures of the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ himself as our cornerstone, marveled at the wonders of his love. This is a busy time of year. And as we mentioned earlier, busyness, even about good things, can get in the way. When we are busy, it can take our focus off of Christ. And, and even worse than that, we can all get a sense of, of pride, of look at what I've done, look how busy I've been. Those hills of pride block our king. So take time this Christmas season and ponder the lowly birth of your king. He lowered himself, he stooped to take our sins on himself, even our sin of pride. 
And the busyness of the season can have the opposite effect on us too. Rather than building us up with sinful pride, it can also knock us down into the pit of despair as we look at how much we have to do and it just doesn't get done and we feel like a failure. Here again, ponder the lowliness of your king. As you look into that manger, see, as the hymn says, he bears the cross for me, for you. He lowered himself and took the punishment in our place. And in exchange, he has built us into his church, his temple, so that we will be with him forever. Yes, we will reign with him. For he is the king of kings. He is our savior. Marvel at the wonder of your king's love. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you.